Hello and welcome to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders. This is the show where I speak with the most inspirational and thought-provoking leaders of today and unearth their unique stories of diversity and inclusion to help inspire, educate and motivate others to make the world a better place. Today I am joined by what I like to think, an individual who's a real kindred spirit, actually. Her name is Rose Marley, and she is CEO at Cooperatives UK. She was appointed just over a year ago and joined the organisation with a phenomenal background within the creative industries, technology, gig economy and entrepreneurship. Uh, she has worked uh, prolifically um, across many different organisations and northern organisations as well, um, I might add, and is a real champion when it comes to all aspects of diversity and inclusion. Welcome to the show, Rose. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm very much looking forward to our conversation. Likewise. And I know the first time we met, I think it was on radio, wasn't it? It was a Northern radio. And I thought, oh, my goodness, um, Rose, she just speaks with such candid authenticity, which only a Northerner would understand. But um, for those who are tuning in, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and you know, how you came to be where you are today as a CEO of cooperatives in the UK uh, and, uh, and you know, perhaps anything about your personal background, which I know is just as insightful. Wow, okay. We've not got that long, I don't think, Lila. But in, in very uh, simple terms, I am a product of Manchester, to be entirely honest with you. So uh, the fact that I'm now leading the cooperative movement, which started in Greater Manchester and still has the biggest society within 11 billion pound turnover business here in Manchester makes me very proud actually but when I say I'm a product of, of Manchester I was brought up with um, several key attributes I was brought up in a very strong community it gave me a real grounding and understanding and empathy in uh, other people's lives and the need to work together I grew up, I was so lucky to grow up in a time in Manchester that was a major youth movement that affected the whole sort of Western world in particular, which was called Manchester. And I grew up in Manchester as a kind of young you know, gig goer, actually, who was generally trying to get into places for free or trying to get backstage. And that actually became my career. And it was very entrepreneurial time in Manchester. Everybody was kind of doing something, making money, you know, putting on gigs. And, and you really believed in Manchester growing up at that time that you could really change the world. And Manchester has a history of changing the world. So, you, you know, the suffragettes, the trade unions, you know, even anti-slavery, you know, Manchester's been really formative in a, in a lot of uh, social uh, justice and reform. So you start to believe that and you told that. And that's what I said, I'm a product of Manchester. You know, I, I remember being kind of age... Uh, eight or so and, and winning a competition at, at school and getting to go to Manchester Town Hall and being shown by the Lord Mayor at the time you know Italy Massacre for example and he showed me like it was me and a bunch of other uh, pupils it was a story writing competition and and I remember two significant things one was that we got it was the 80s so we got this pen a plastic pen with a b on the end of it uh, which people do now know is the symbol of Manchester and I was so excited about this pen uh, but it was the fact that it was this idea of again working together but actually at the end of the day the Lord Mayor said to me and actually you know all these other 
children. So what is it that you're going to do for Manchester and the world? And that stuck with me. You know, I'm still answering that question. I feel like it's my civic duty on many occasions, you know. So like I say, I ended up working in the music business, working through a period when Manchester's music was setting the world on fire. I ended up kind of going through that journey, experiencing extreme wealth and privilege because the music industry is, is absolutely full of it. And I don't mean the artists themselves. I mean the actual management and the infrastructures around the entertainment and media business, particularly in the UK. And I kind of, it's a bit of a cliche, but I did kind of have that moment when I first got pregnant and thought, what on earth am I doing with my life? And is that it? You're going to chase celebrities around? And, you know, what kind of world is it you're bringing a child into? And that's when I really started questioning and ended up moving, using my entrepreneurial skills to make social impact, which, of course, is social enterprise. So I was probably about... 28 by that point when I went on this journey of becoming a social from being an entrepreneur to being a social entrepreneur but again looking back I was always a social entrepreneur I was always trying to create jobs I was always trying to create opportunities I was always trying to encourage people to be the best they could be through a business environment so yeah so in amongst all of that somehow I ended up uh, being invited to apply becoming the CEO of Cooperatives UK, which is a body that looks after the whole movement, which is £40 billion worth to the UK in its entirety. And it's made up of, yes, co-op shops that you find at the end of your street, but actually some of the really exciting growth areas are in tech, uh, in education and energy, and all the, the problems and challenges that we're facing in the world. There are many cooperative solutions so I really do believe that I well I'm privileged to to, to be in this role actually but I really do believe that I've got a vast experience that will enable the cooperative movement which is you know over 175 years old but enable us to to reset ourselves in a way that we'll be here in another 175 years. Oh my goodness, that is a whistle stop and a half rose. I love it. And as you were talking, all of these images of Manchester and the music industry, you know, the worker bee that we know so well, all of those things were really coming colourfully into my mind. And, um, you know, one thing which I, I, I'd mentioned kind of even prior to us starting this podcast is I think, um, you know, when you talk kind of about privilege and, and all this kind of, all this kind of stuff, you know, actually, you perhaps give yourself a bit of a bit of a rough ride, because, you know, immediately in your personal experience, you know, being a northerner, being proud to be a female leader, being a mother as well, you know, you look at, you know, the north versus the south divide, which is another huge thing for those that know the north um as well as we do and obviously i lived in manchester for a long time you're mentioning a whole eclectic mix there of diversity and ultimately intersectionality that that demonstrates how rich the experience of your life experience is and how you bring that uh, into all of the the work that you do today and you know it almost seems serendipitous and you know as you as you'd explained kind of you know being a a real kind of you know product of Manchester or Manchester as it as, as it once were and this path that you went on the pivotal inflection point where where you have a child and you realize actually how can I deepen this sense of purpose and you know that's coming out in the re- 
roots and the branches now of the cooperative movement, which, you know, as you rightly say, for those that that know less about kind of, you know, the co-op and the cooperatives, you know, this is a age old movement, you know, nearly mm-hmm. 200 years old. It is un believable and again it's an area which um you know whilst fantastic for so many reasons is also one that has you know certain archetypal stereotypes associated with it so having yourself as a real model in this position of leadership I, I think is absolutely absolutely wonderful talk to us a little bit about the cooperative movement in into itself and perhaps even some of the challenges that you may have faced over the course because it's an area that is you know one of you know challenge but also great opportunity yeah you're absolutely right and you touched on it there in terms of you know 176 years ago actually now 28 men came together and wanted to find a fairer and more equitable way to to trade and you know out of that group what are known as the Rochdale pioneers they became and they set up a shop and and at the time there was a whole host of problems around accessing food you know we've not come very far have we whole host of problems around accessing food is one of the things that we are still dealing with and tackling today so then it will have been about the fact that you know the flour had you know grit in it and, and the cocoa had dirt in it and the sugar had arsenic in it and now we're dealing with food accessibility in other ways in terms of you know the poverty that we're experiencing at the moment and then the amount of food hubs that are having to be provided not least in, in the wake of the pandemic but so there you go straight away it was 28 males that started the movement and, and now uh, one uh, female is kind of leading it but with a lot of support from many other females there are a lot of female leadership now in the cooperative movement in key roles but also social enterprise you know again cooperative movement started that whole idea of the social economy or certainly popularized it throughout the world and then social enterprise is renowned actually for having more female leadership than sort of traditional formats of business so you know that that gender piece really really important when you talked about then the idea you know I'm a product of Manchester absolutely but then I did live in London and I have traveled the world and you know that that piece where there is a line in a, in a James song a great Manchester song and the line is if I hadn't seen such riches I could live with being poor and I think that really resonated with me you know sit down is it James it really resonated with me because that is what my life experience I was projected from a quite a you know just a traditional working class background now again you sort of talk about intersectionality and privilege so on paper by the age of, I mentioned I was eight then, by that age, I'd lost my father. My father had died. By that age, you know, where I was living and the school I went to is in a high deprivation marker in terms of everything, health outcomes, educational outcomes, you know, poor, poor sort of markers in terms of the area I lived in. But I was very happy and I was very loved and I was very supported in a community. And I think sometimes we forget some of these things. So, so as much as on paper, you could say, yeah, gosh, you know, you've got all these challenges. But actually, the reality of, 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 of my life, and then like I said, I was projected beyond all those statistics. You know, there was no way, there was no way I should meet royalty and be speaking to politicians and be traveling the world. That was not, if you're looking at statistics, that was not in my trajectory. And, and music actually propelled me into that world. And like I said, once you kind of start to see and understand 
understand uh, a little bit about that intersectionality, about understanding other people's journeys, other people's challenges. So actually, as much as I've just mentioned, well, in politicians, positions of privilege, they have challenges and they're very different. So everybody's got challenges. And, and what, again, going into the music industry, um, I, I grew up in, in an area of, of, of Manchester, North Manchester, it was very, very white, you know, through the 70s and the 80s. Uh, you know, literally, you could men- you could name the one, you know, uh, Chinese family in the area. You know, it was literally a, a very, very white. Well, going into the music industry, suddenly I was mixing, you know, I was mixing with musicians from different backgrounds and different heritages and, and learning. And, and I think once, like I said, once you've experienced any form of, of prejudice yourself, it's really difficult, I think, not to relate that back to how you deal with other people and understand other people. So when that comes to the cooperative movement, it's really interesting that uh, dichotomy because actually people within the the, the cooperative movement recognise this DEI challenge and recognise that, you know, if you look from the beginning of the movement with 28 males starting it to where we are now, you know, it's still, you know, can be very white, it can be very middle class, it can be, uh, you know, there's not a lot, many young people kind of, uh, or, or as many as I'd like to see certainly joining uh, cooperatives and farming cooperatives. Again, in terms of race and ethnicity, um, in fact, in terms of even collecting the data around that, we're really quite poor, is the truth of it. So there is a big, there's a huge challenge there. And then when you speak to individuals about it within the cooperative movement, of course, they want to be inclusive because actually you can't be in the cooperative movement and not, you know, the whole point is working together to a collective good. So this is real dichotomy where it's like, so you want to work with people and you want to help people and you want to support and you want to trade equitably and fairly. But then why has the whole movement got an image that is not diverse? And actually, you then start looking at the history. And when you start a co-op, for example, is this really detailed you know principles and values to adhere to and then processes to go through and I think what the co-op movement's done certainly over you know the, the recent history it's been talking to itself and it's been so focused on some of that detail and the purity of getting cooperation right that it's kind of missed this bigger picture and so what I hope I'm doing as I, as I come into this role Layla is to kind of get everybody to lift their head up and look around and, and understand it from other points of view. And so you don't, so let's say talking about young people, just, you know, even the way you sign up to, to join Cooperative UK, it involves more than three clicks. So of course, young people <laughs> are reeling themselves out. Or again, language that we use, you know, can rule people out. And there's so much, there's so many kind of cooperatives in action on the ground, particularly over the pandemic, all those WhatsApp groups that was bringing up people helping each other in the streets. Let's say music industry, every band I know is a cooperative. It's just that's not the language they use. So actually, this is about connecting. There's a hell of a lot of cooperation going on in, in lots of diverse communities, but it's not connected to the understanding of, of, of what the movement is. So, yeah, we are absolutely stimulating, you know, whether it's kind of doing some work around the community shares offer, which is a unique financial tool to cooperatives and, and community benefit societies. And looking at that in context of Sharia law, for example, or we are making sure that we've changed our holiday policies internally at Cooperatives UK. So it's not about 
Christmas as an example, or our recruitment processes and making sure there's diversity statements in there, or really working hard to make sure that everybody in the organisation uh, does have you know equity in the organisation. We just we're in the middle of a, a, a restructure and we did a full staff consultation where every single member of the organisation was invited to share confidentially and in a safe space the things that we needed to do to improve and so I won't present Leila there's a long list there is a long list (laughs) but I'm just proud and pleased to say that we're facing into it as an organization and as a movement and we won't get everything right nobody ever does Uh, but the fact that we know where we're getting wrong it means that we know where to start and and, then you know we're on we're on that journey. There is so much rich insight there to unpick. I'm like, oh my goodness, where on earth do I start? But one of the things that you you just said there was safe space and not being concerned, basically to put your head above the parapet. And I think that's what the very, very best of leaders do ultimately. You know, you kind of look back at the last 10 years, last, you know, couple of decades, and you look at what the archetypal kind of leader looked like or the CEO. Um, you know, actually there was this you know often this you know incorrect in some instances vision of a you know person in a bit of a white ivory tower you know looking and behaving a certain way whereas actually you look at leadership and the requirements now to your point with the youth especially they're impatient they're impatient for change if it's not a couple of clicks if they can't see if they can't comment on what leaders and people are doing in society you know that that, that, that you know they won't stand for it there is a real need for leaders to be able to speak out, to be more vulnerable, to be ambassadors of society. In particular, when you look at kind of, you know, the the movement for ESG and societal aspects, absolutely inflating beyond any uh, kind of rationale that we have, we have ever seen before. Um, But as you said, you know, this is about having a safe space, you know, there's not a one size fits all. You know, we certainly, you know, we've got to win over hearts and minds, and we've got to be really really authentic in 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 the way in which we do that as you are being right now progress um is far better than perfection in 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 today's modern society and you know where where you kind of you know you touched upon you know the music industry a number of times and i think you know what's lovely about it is actually you start to see the diversity in terms of the the different sectors you know the music sector and the creative sector which of course is is the rich background you know rich and insightful background that you came from is one that brings so many values and so much innovation into then the world of business and then again you touched upon you know some of the health equity side of things and again it's something that we're seeing a huge amount of not just here in the UK but also in the states you know one of our our members Walgreens Boots Alliance really looking at kind of health equity and how that plays out in their local communities and how they can basically support it better but it's interesting you know to reflect on this kind of year this last 176 years I think you said it was where some of the challenges are, are, are still you know there's still similarities um you know food accessibility and food you know poverty is, is still happening so it's taking those values modernizing those values in the context of, of today and really you know bringing those diverse voices and leaders like yourself to the forefront to be able to speak candidly and honestly about this but uh, but yeah, it's just uh, you know so so interesting how these principles can play out and how other other industries can actually benefit from cooperative principles. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, you, so you talk about sort of uh, safe uh, spaces and we live in a very complex world and, and we don't live in a very safe world when it comes to speaking out and doing what's right. You know, look at what uh, politicians do deal with, look at what happens when people do stick their head above the pulpit and, you know, campaign for change or really challenge leadership and, and, and constitutions. And I think you can do things, I think structurally you can do things, so what kind of the co-op Cooperative movement, and what I think what's challenging for, for the modern movement is it comes across as really complex cooperatives. And the reason it's really complex is there's no set legal structure, for example. So you could be a partnership, you can be a limited company, you can be a charitable trust, you can be a community benefit society, you can be any form of legal structure. And then at types of cooperatives, you know, you might be a housing cooperative and the members are the tenants because all cooperatives are owned by the members. Or you might be a shop and you're owned by the customers. Or you might be production, uh, agriculture production, and all the workers own the cooperative. So I think it's a real challenge, but some of that structural stuff, so the worker co-ops in particular, the worker co-ops tend to be the ones that will have that absolute constitutionally built in parity of voice, parity of wealth, and they will have one member, one vote, and every single employee in the organisation has exactly the same level of um, sometimes wages, sometimes ability to make change in the organisation. And then other uh, other organisations like multi-stakeholder cops, which are really common in tech, actually. And this is, I think this is this is very exciting. If you take a multi-stakeholder co-op like Signalize, which is around a deaf community and the, the app that's developed to enable better services. Well, the members, the deaf community uh, themselves, and then the, the, the providers and the supply chain that are delivering for them, or you get that in something like Equal Care Co-op, where the, the end users, you know, not just the, the people that are booking the care and the people that are receiving the care, but then the cooperative members are also the people that are delivering the care. Well, guess what? It's not rocket science to get better pay, you get better conditions because they are have got equal say with the people that are booking the services. So you can structurally put this kind of in to enable greater voice, greater equity and inclusion. But just because you put it in as a constitution, and that's one of my frustrations sometimes with the cooperative movement, is just because when you set up, you signed up to a bunch of principles and a whole bunch of values doesn't mean that they're going to naturally occur within your organisation. And you have to work hard as well. And I think it's really important to remember that in all types of cooperatives, social enterprise and business itself. I love what you're doing uh, in in terms of you getting leaders to sign up to kind of bonus related against diversity. That's just so such a unique stimulant uh, that I've not seen before. Um, And sometimes you do have to put you know, we're all human aren't we uh, we all need reminding we all need telling and telling and telling again we all need to learn and learn again you know so you can't expect just because you put something in place in its design for that to magically just exist then for the rest of eternity you have to work hard at doing things like creating a safe space where people feel that they can uh, raise their voice and make their concerns heard and like I said, I don't pretend that's easy in any type of organisation, but you've got to be trying. I love what you said, you know, being on that journey, progress is, is better than not having progress and, and you might not get it right straight away, but don't stop trying. I'm such a northerner with your value set being like that. I love it. You're such a glass half full person, Rose, and I adore that. And, you know, it can 
I think you and I both share the same sentiment is when you're championing change, positive change, it can be an emotionally taxing, relentless journey. And I always say to, to people and organisations, you know, you're mad in a good way to work within the kind of the diversity and inclusion space or, you know, the, the social impact space, because there is a huge amount of, of repetition and patience required to continue beating this drum. And actually, sometimes, you know, you, you forget actually how far you've come up the mountain, because when you're driven that way, you know, you're looking at, right, what's next, what's next up the mountain, trying to get up there but actually it is it's an evolution and as you say things don't magically happen we wish that they would it's a hearts and minds thing as well as a policies thing you know it's putting all of those pieces of the jigsaw in place and, and knowing that even then we still need to keep the foot on foot on the gas talk to me about you know or, or on the personal side how you manage to stay so optimistic because I know from personal experience that you know you know mental health wellness you know looking after oneself in particular when you are at the forefront and being the face of, of a movement with so many members everywhere all wanting things you know what 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 would you say to other kind of leaders and execs who are who are kind of um you know out there flying the flag who who need to take a bit of respite yeah well note to self <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. You know, that that's something I'm not great at. You know, this idea is that they put your own oxygen mask on first before you deal with someone else. And I, I have to hold my hands up and say that is my least capable um, attribute. I think in terms of staying positive, though, I am good at that because I think trusting your own instincts. And I think over the years, you know, particularly females talk a lot about imposter syndrome and, and, and how they don't have a right to be someone and they don't really know what they're doing. And and, and I, I don't know, I don't know what happened to me that um, changed this. Um, but I, I do have a belief in my own gut instinct. And I do have a core belief that, don't get me wrong, I can be really agile and you can change my mind if I've got something wrong. But I'm also very good at kind of understanding the problem and focusing on the end game. And it might take a different route because you need to, you know, take into account variables that you hadn't considered and all that type of thing. But I think, yeah, as a leader, having the courage of your own convictions, actually, it's really important because you will get distracted. You know, everybody's got an opinion on everything. You know, the plumber comes around and that used to make me laugh in the music industry. You know, the amount of artists that have changed their you know, record, you know, it was our single because, you know, somebody who knows nothing about what's going to make a hit record has told them they think they should do this. And actually, it's time to always, always, always um, uh, listen to, to, to other people. Uh, but keep your own counsel, actually, is, is what I would say. There's a real importance about taking that advice. I learned it really young, at a young age. And it was described to me as beware of, of men in white suits. And it's about doctors, if you're poorly and, and somebody comes and sits at the end of your bed in a hospital and they've got a white suit on and a stethoscope and they, they tell you to take this medication, you will just take that medication. And that's how people treat in business professional bodies. But you shouldn't, you know, so when your accountant comes and tells you these are all the, the things that you need to be looking at, or this is what you need to do, or your lawyer, this is what you need to do. Actually, what you need to do is take responsibility. But ultimately, this is your decision. You are your own world expert in your own business. And actually, you need to make that decision. And so you need to take the counsel. You need to educate yourself and arm, arm yourself with all the correct information. But ultimately, you, a 
probably are the only person in the world <laughs> that knows what's right for you. And just having the courage and strength to be able to say, you know, when, you, when it's niggling you or something's not quite right, listen to yourself, really listen to yourself because, uh, you know, bodies and minds are amazing and they're always trying to tell you things like, drink more water, Rosie, you've got a headache because you've not been drinking enough water. And like I said, I'm not listening enough on, on that particular one, but I, I do say in business, have the strength of, of belief in, in, in yourself and then have the ability, when you do get things wrong, to reflect on that, learn from that and, and not get it wrong again. That was so beautifully articulated. And I would bet everyone who is listening in now is thinking, as I was, oh my goodness, it's such an easy thing to do because it feels, you know, you want to pass that responsibility to someone else. But the the courage and the confidence in your own conviction that you talked about comes from you actually taking that moment to understand or educate yourself as opposed to following something blindly. And actually what happens then in practice sometimes is you follow this advice, you then start to question it, you end up looping back on it again afterwards. So actually taking that moment of time to educate yourself. And have you said, like, listen to your gut as well. Listen to your gut, you know, you know, in particular, you know, the, you know, I, I'm, I know what you're saying when people talk about kind of imposter syndrome. And I am a believer that the vast majority of people have felt it, whether they admit it or not, at some point in life. But there comes a point where you realize, hey, life is short. You know, actually, um, trust myself. It doesn't work. What is the worst that is going to happen ultimately? And That's exactly um, it. Spoken like a true North nurse. This is so, so good. This is so, so good. Yeah. And it leads me perfectly into a little lightning round. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the time and I, I know I said, yeah, yeah, Rose, you'll be done really soon. And, <laughs> and here I am um, <laughs> slipping up on that promise, which I'd hate to do. But let me just ask you another couple of little lightning round questions. 30 seconds is how long I'll give you to answer. Um, but first of all, what would you say? This is probably the hardest one. Um what is your secret to success or is there one? Gosh, that is hard in 30 uh, seconds. But I'm just going to say growth mindset. Um, always be prepared to learn and relearn and learn again. And how about the heroes or sheroes, I should say, in your life? Is there anyone that stands out that has, has changed your life at all or that you really look up to? Gosh, yes, so many people. I mean, it's, it's coming up to International Women's Day, actually. And somebody that I discovered when, one time when I was working with young people in, in Manchester was Margaret Ashton, who was the first female counsellor for Manchester. She was a suffragette. I really identified with her story because actually she ended up getting taken off the council for being too outspoken and being too strong in her beliefs. So I really look up to uh, It's sad, actually, because she wasn't recognised in her own time. And now there's streets named after her and there was a college named after her, you know, long after she passed. I kind of feel like her story inspired me to have that that courage. And then I say that in, in, in the modern uh, world there's so many uh, uh, people that I look up to um, and aspire to but the, the, the current one I'm going to say is because I never said it when he was alive sadly which was Tony Wilson who was the guy that started uh, one of the guys that started Factory Records and the Hacienda and I, and I worked with Tony and Paul Morley's just written a book about him and, and, and my relationship with Tony is in that book and at the time I mean, Tony used to really battle and, and challenge each other and, and, and sadly he's passed away. And it's only through reading that book I realised how influential he was and how important he was to me because he got things, he taught me. I think actually that's possibly where 
my lack of imposter syndrome comes from because he kind of taught me that nobody really knows what they're doing. I love that. And, you know, clearly he was a, a huge influence. But it's interesting that you say one of the biggest influences now having reflected is someone that... Um, you know, had a very, very different opinion to you. I mean, it's that diversity of thought, isn't it, ultimately, you know, that that really allows us to to look through a different lens and to almost shape ourselves. And finally, I wonder if you could go back in time and maybe you're you're speaking to the the, the much younger Rose pre, uh, you know, getting pregnant, having a baby, pre kind of all that time, you're about to embark on your career and you're wondering what to do. What advice might you give to your younger self or indeed someone else who's about to embark on 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 a similar journey you know doing what's right for you actually you know a lot of the decisions that I've made particularly with regards to my career have been based on what my family needs so I do have a husband with a chronic illness I did you know have children and I did have the opportunity to do lots of varied things in my career but it was was always based on Sometimes that needed stability, sometimes that needed more cash, sometimes that needed not to be on a tour bus traveling around Europe. Um, so making decisions that were right for you and your family and your career bit follows, actually. So let's say, you know, the career and how I've ended up where, where I am on paper doesn't necessarily, it's not a textbook uh, journey, but every decision I made was the right one for me and my family. And then the career bit does just follow if you're good and committed uh you know what you do well rosa it's been an absolute joy having you on the podcast thank you ever so much for sharing your personal insight and also for being just so candid and and vulnerable if you if you don't mind me saying so you know some of the key things that really stood out to me is just your natural ability to speak about all of these aspects of intersectionality and it's a you know it's a real case in point that actually diversity means so many different things to different people whether it is that we've got you know parenthood and caring responsibilities and there's invisible diversities that that many of us know about and experience be it mental health be it you know kind of sexual belief, religion, system, nationality even, or whether it be something which is visible, you know, be it gender, be it our, you know, generational, you know, experience and, and where we are at within within the generations. But also, you know, the, the real kind of the, the, the strong you know well I suppose north-south divide actually I think is something that is not spoken about nearly as as much as it should be you know regional aspects play a huge part in terms of our diversity of of thought and you know again I I know we've talked about so many different things across this, this podcast but you know I think you know where you have come in your journey personally and professionally is, is a real inspiration for others who who are um who are are tuning in you know having that little bit of patience sometimes and having that courage in one's own conviction actually you know it's 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 really really important holding the mirror up thinking about some of those wider uh, you know cooperative principles again which have a lot of you know, kind of real relevance, even in today's modern society. So thank you so much, Rose, for for joining. It's, uh, you know, it's been a real, real joy. And for anyone who, who who's listening in, who, who who hasn't managed to write everything down, don't worry, because all of it will be in the show notes at the end of today's show. We'll also give accessibility as well. So if you prefer to read annotations, um, that's absolutely fine. Or you need closed captioning support, not a problem whatsoever. And of course, if you listen to podcasts on, on audio, we are available 
on Spotify, on, on Apple, iTunes, all of your favorite podcast channels available in our app, our Dar Global Network app, and also directly online as well. Rose, thank you again so much. You're very welcome. Thank you. My name is Leila Mackenzie Dallas. I'm founder and CEO of Dar Global. You've been listening to the Diverse and Inclusive Leaders podcast with Rose Marley, um, Chief Executive of, of Cooperatives UK. Visit us at www.darglobal.org and we'll look forward to seeing you again very soon.